So, how many of you have heard of the Odyssey? Hands raised. Most of us have heard of the Odyssey. Well, it's an ancient Greek epic that tells the story of Odysseus as he returns home from the Trojan War with his crew. And as he returns home, he goes through many different obstacles and trials along the way. And one of those obstacles are the beautiful singing of the sirens. Now, the sirens would sing out across the sea, and they would entice the passing sailors in their ships to come closer to them and inevitably crash and die against the rocks. Now, Odysseus knew all about the dangers of the sirens. And so what he did was he had his crew stuff beeswax in their ears so that they couldn't hear the singing of the sirens. But he did something interesting. He didn't put any beeswax in his own ears. He tied himself to the mast. He had his crew tie himself to the mast so that he could hear the enchanting voices of the sirens. And as they got closer, he heard it, and he started screaming out for them to release him and let him go. And he did that so that his crew would see the danger of the sirens and keep the beeswax in their ears. And eventually they got far enough away that he was no longer yelling, and they were able to avoid the dangers of the rocks. Now, the sirens' call really isn't that much different than the call of our flesh, of our sin nature. The call of our passions and desires, especially in this culture that we live in, right, which basically is a hedonistic, indulgent culture that says, go and do whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good. Unfortunately, many Christians approach the sirens' call of their flesh, the same way that Odysseus did. They, they tie themselves up in a legalistic approach to their faith. They, they tie themselves up with religious rules and activities, and they continue to be agonized by the call of their flesh. The difference is that, typically, those legalistic ropes don't hold us and we eventually break free and indulge in whatever that siren call is. And that is what bondage does. It always ends up with us crashing on the rocks. So in Galatians chapter 5, which is what we've been studying these past couple of sermons, Paul has been teaching what true freedom looks like, what it means to truly live free what it means to break free from the bonds of legalism and deception and selfishness and to have true freedom in Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to see that Paul goes one step further in showing us what true freedom looks like and he's actually going to show us how to live free, what it takes to get past all of those things. And that is by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Through the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, before I really get into the main text for today, can I, can I just say that, in my opinion, and so 
take it for what it's worth. It's just my opinion here. Teaching about the Holy Spirit and its paramount, His paramount place in our life, I think is probably not done enough in our churches. And it's something that is so easy to neglect because we rightly talk about Jesus all the time because He is the one who we're to focus on. And we hear a lot about God the Father, but teaching about the Holy Spirit kind of gets pushed to the side sometimes, I think. And His importance in our daily lives, it it can't be stated how important it is. It can't be overstated. And I just, listen to this quote from Francis Chan in his book, Forgotten God. He's writing about the Holy Spirit. If I were Satan, and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world isn't moved by love or actions that are of human creation, and the church isn't empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. That's a pretty strong statement. So let me really encourage you to pay close attention to what Paul is writing about here as he teaches us the paramount place that the Holy Spirit has in living free. So as you turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be studying verses 16 through 18 today. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for the helper, the comforter that you've given us, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just prepare us to hear your truth today, that we would have hearts that are open and focused and receptive to your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me, that my words would be your words in Jesus' name. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, remember, in the first 15 verses of this chapter, Paul has been speaking out against the world's concept of freedom. He's been speaking out against legalism, which says that I need to live a certain way, I need to do certain things in order to attain my freedom, in order to attain salvation. And he's been speaking out against license, which says, hey, you know what? I got Jesus. I've been forgiven. I got God's grace. I'm good. I can live however I want because I'm forgiven. And Paul has been saying and showing that both of these man-made approaches to freedom are false. They're lies. And they lead to destruction. They, they end up with us crashing on the rocks in a shipwreck. They don't really allow us to live free. That's why Paul says here, listen, you want to know how to live free? 
Here's what Jesus says. Here's what the Holy Spirit says. Here's what God says. Remember, this is the God-inspired word, right? That's what Scripture is. So Paul's saying, but I say, but really, it's God speaking through Paul. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. We've heard what the world says. Now this is what God says. And he tells us that true freedom comes through the Holy Spirit, not our own efforts or through indulgence, but by walking by the Spirit. And the Greek for this, it literally it means walk. So walk means walk. That's nothing new. But metaphorically, to walk by the Spirit meant and referred to the concept of having every aspect of your life in alignment with the Holy Spirit. All of your thoughts, all of your actions, everything were done by the Holy Spirit. And the phrase, by the Spirit, meant that we live our entire life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not my own power, my own strength, thoughts, etc., but through the power of the Spirit. Now, I want to also just take a minute to talk about three quick things about the construction of this sentence in the Greek. First of all, it's written in a way that means that we ourselves personally and actively need to make a choice to walk by the Spirit. We need to choose to walk by the Spirit. It doesn't just happen automatically. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. But just because every Christian has the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we're allowing the Spirit to empower us and control us. One writer said, Every Christian has the Spirit, but the Spirit does not have every Christian. Now secondly, this sentence is written as a command which means that every obedient believer of Jesus Christ is commanded to live their life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not an optional thing. This is what we're supposed to do. And finally, it's written in a tense that means that we need to rely on the Spirit over and over and over again on a continual basis, not just a one-time deal. How many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? It's a kid's movie, so I've seen it lots of times because my kids love the movie. And in that movie, there's a fish named Dory the Fish. It's the blue fish in the picture. And they are searching for Nemo, and they get lost. And in order to encourage them along the way, Dory starts singing a song. She starts singing, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? On and on and on. Paul is pulling a dory here, okay? Paul is literally saying, just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking by the Spirit. That's what he's saying here. That is what this Greek phrase really gets to. So if we put all of that stuff together and we would paraphrase those short few words, it would sound something like this. Every obedient Christian must actively and consciously choose to continuously live all aspects of their life depending on the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a lot easier to just say, walk by the Spirit, right? (laughs) 
But that is what Paul is getting at when he writes these words. And the concept of dependence is really the key here. That's why that little word by is in the phrase. We need to depend on the Spirit. So, you're probably thinking, okay, that, all that stuff, that's great. Greek is nice. I got to walk by the Spirit. I get it. How do I do that? How do I do that? Practically speaking, what does that look like? I can't give you the answer to that in black and white. There is nothing in Scripture that says, here is how you walk by the Spirit. It's, it's something that we kind of experientially learn. And so the best way that I know how to explain it is to just kind of give some scenarios of what it might look like to walk by the Spirit that we all would face. So first of all, the context of this passage is talking about the temptation of the flesh. And so temptation is one of the primary ways where we need to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's say I'm sitting down and that cookie is calling to me. And I know I really shouldn't have that cookie. Now I can try in my own willpower to not eat that cookie, but if we just would ask the Spirit to empower us and give us the strength to overcome that, He'll do that. That's what, the, that's what the Spirit does. That would be walking by the Spirit in that situation. Or most of us here probably read our Bible on a pretty regular basis. I hope that's the case. When you read your Bible, do you just pick it up and kind of flip through like a magazine and, ah, this one looks good, I'll just read this for a little bit? Or do you actually take a moment to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you something out of the Word of God. That's what the Spirit does. And that's what it would look like to walk by the Spirit as we study God's Word. Or, or maybe you're in the midst of a difficult trial. You're going through something and you don't know when the end is going to be. In fact, it's not even in sight. Well, instead of trying to get there on your own and persevering on your own, that is what the Holy Spirit is for. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We depend on the strength of the Holy Spirit to have the proper perspective and attitude and expectations as we go through that trial. Or, or last week, if you were here, we talked about selfishness and serving others. There's going to be times when I'm just tired of serving. I don't want to do it anymore. Or, or I don't really care to serve that guy because he kind of rubs me the wrong way. In those moments when we just we can't bring ourselves to serve, that's when we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to love them and put ourselves aside. That's walking by the Spirit. Finally, you might, you might have a tough decision that you have to make. And there's no black and white answer in Scripture. It don't, we don't know which way to go, and both are equally viable options. Well, that's when we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us a peace and a contentment with one of those options and a discomfort with the other. That's walking by the Spirit. Now, there's, there's countless other scenarios. 
Those are just a couple that I pulled. But the point here is that with all these things, we rely on the power of the Spirit. And it's not something that we do just one time and then we're done with. Remember, we do it over and over again. As these situations pop up in our lives, we continue to rely on the power of the Spirit. The key is to continuously and intentionally live all aspects of your life by the power of the Spirit and not your own strength. And and really the key to that is just having your mind set on God. Having your mind aware of the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Paul wrote in Romans 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, those who walk by the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So it's really important what we set our mind on and what we think about. And if we're thinking about the Spirit, we'll be able to rely on the Spirit. But we not only need to be mindful and intentional about living by the Spirit's power, there's, there's a flip side to that coin. We also need to be intentional about not living by our own power. Because it's really easy for most of us to just do things ourselves and get it done. But God doesn't get any glory in that when we just go and take care of it ourselves. This, this week, on Monday, at our soup kitchen ministry, had one of our guests approach me and ask for some money. It happens pretty regularly. It's not a, something out of the ordinary. And so I talked with him for a little bit and started asking him some questions. And he said that he only needed a couple bucks. He had to go to the dollar store and get something for his fiance. I didn't detect any dishonesty or, or him trying to pull one over on me. And so I was okay with, with helping him out and get that. But before I just gave him money, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to pray about this just to make sure that we're okay. And so I prayed about it, and I had the conviction, I had the feeling that, you know, the Lord really just wants me to, to walk with you to the dollar store and get you whatever you need there. And so I said, hey, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to just give you the cash. How about I walk with you? I'll go to the dollar store and I'll buy it with you. And he reluctantly agreed. And so we literally went on a walk by the Holy Spirit, right? And so we're walking there and I strike up a conversation and start asking him questions And then he starts asking me questions about how someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I told him about what Jesus did for him and the importance of recognizing our need for Christ because we're sinners and we fall short. And I went through the whole explanation. And then I made him explain it back to me so I knew he understood it. And then before we got to the dollar store, he said, you know what? I want to pray to be saved. Now that never would have happened if I had just given him the money. But because I was intentional about not relying on my own strength, 
my own understanding, God did something there. But that's not the end of the story. So we get into the dollar store, and he kind of sheepishly comes up to me and says, well, um, my fiancé needs some feminine hygiene products. So there I am, standing in line with a box of tampons, and a woman comes up to me, and she kind of says jokingly, I'm, I'm glad that you're confident enough to be able to buy those for your wife. I said, well, actually, they're not really for my wife. They're for my friend's fiancé here. Long story short, I got to explain to her the work that the Lord is doing at Riverside on Monday nights and how he is meeting the needs of the people on a weekly basis. And she said, you know what? It's really neat to see Christians actually living out their faith. She wasn't a believer. She said, maybe I'll check, maybe I'll check out your church sometime. Now, I don't know if she's ever going to check out the church. And I don't know if my friend actually genuinely put his faith in Jesus Christ. But I know that neither of them would ever have had the chance to do either of those things if I wasn't listening and following the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it's when we do that that we bring glory to God's name because it was all God who worked through that situation. It wasn't anything that I did. It was because the Holy Spirit moving within me. So when we walk by the Spirit, we, we not only need to be mindful of our dependence on the power of the Spirit, but we also need to be mindful and intentional and obedient to the leading of the Spirit. And when we do that, that's when we get to glorify God. And the flesh, that siren call, begins to lose its power over us. That's why Paul says in the rest of this verse, in verse 16, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's pretty straightforward, right? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Cause and effect. The consequence of our yielding to the power of the Spirit is that we don't yield to the desires of the flesh. Well, what's the flesh? The flesh is all all those passions and lusts and all those different things that make up our old sinful selves. that, That siren call that wants us to crash into the rocks. Now, when we walk by the Spirit... It doesn't mean that that siren call stops. I want to make that perfectly clear. They don't just stop singing. What happens is that we just don't fall victim to the singing anymore because the power of the Spirit overcomes the call of the flesh. Our minds are set on the Spirit, and so we have life. They're not focused on the flesh. Now, I really want to stress the order that Paul is talking about here. He says, first, we walk by the Spirit. And then the result of that is overcoming our selfish desires. Some some of us approach this whole situation backwards. We think, if I can just overcome this addiction, if I can just get through 
this trial or this problem, then I'll really be able to walk closely with God. So they'll try with all of their strength to overcome whatever it is, and inevitably they crash and fail. Paul's point here is that we can't overcome the flesh. We can't overcome our sin on our own. It it, it just doesn't work. We have to get to the point where we are ready to fully surrender to the Spirit and Jesus Christ, confessing our sins and yielding to His strength. When we do that, when we walk by the Spirit, then we overcome the flesh. Trying to change our behavior on our own is fruitless unless it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's whole point here. How many times, think about it in your own life, how many times have you struggled with something only to fall right back into it again? In my own life, (laughs) this might sound silly, but in my own life I had a video game addiction. I was addicted to video games. I would stay up all hours of night and play hour upon hour. That, that was an idol for me. It, it was my fleshly craving. And I might try to stop for a while, but I couldn't. The, the world of video games would suck me back in. <laughs> but finally, the Lord woke me up And he made clear that nothing was going to change unless I began to take him seriously and to put him as the most important thing in my life, to make the call of the Spirit the most important thing to me. And when I did that, when I was able to focus on God, that is when the power of video games was broken in my life. And I praise God for that. Overcoming the flesh is a consequence of relying totally on the Spirit. And the more we allow our life to be filled with the power of God, the less influence the flesh has on us. It's an inverse relationship. More God, less flesh. More flesh, less God. So, if you find yourself struggling with something, this verse is telling us that you're probably not walking very closely with the Holy Spirit. That's just what the Scripture says. Well, why is that? Why does that happen? Paul gives the explanation in verse 17. He writes, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul says that the flesh and the spirit are in opposition. They are in conflict with each other. And this Greek word, this phrase, are opposed to, it literally means to line up opposite to something. And it was used to refer to armies as they approached themselves in battle. So Paul is saying that the spirit and the flesh, they're they're literally, they're at war with each other. Which means that as Christians, we're we're just walking battlefields. We're walking war zones. Our, Our flesh and the spirit 
are battling each other. And, and the primary place that battle takes place is our mind, which Paul already, we read that verse. And so that's why it's so important to focus our thoughts on the things of the Spirit. The reason, the reason for this is that when we're born again, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we become a new creation. We have the new man, is what Scripture calls it. But that doesn't mean that our old man, our sinful nature, disappears. That still remains with us. It's not removed. And it's this old nature that constantly pulls at us, that, that siren's call that tries to entice us back in, and inevitably we crash against the rocks. And that's why we can't just simply remove ourselves from the world and expect that all temptation just disappears. We can't do what Odysseus's crew did and just plug our ears with beeswax and ignore the temptation because it's, it's coming from within us. Our old nature entices us from within. And many, many early Christian orders, and even some today, were founded on the principle of overcoming the flesh through removing all influences of the world from our lives. And one of those early, one of the early church fathers, his name was Jerome, and he, he was a member, he was a monk of one of these orders, and, and I want you to hear what he wrote. Oh, how often I imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert. In that solitary wasteland which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitation for the monks, I often thought that I was dancing in a chorus with girls. See that? It doesn't matter where we go or what we do, that battle is raging within us. And so we need to make sure we're setting our mind on the Spirit. And so what that means practically is that that conflict is raging all the time. We can't get away from it. And so as a Christian, you're going to struggle with the flesh. That's just the reality. And for those of us who struggle with the flesh, we, we really need to hear this. That struggle is the normal state for the Christian. That is the expected state. We're, we're going to struggle with that. So don't be discouraged just because you have that internal struggle within you. Just because you're fighting against that siren call doesn't mean that you're sinning. It doesn't mean that you are despicable or messed up, it means that you have the Spirit raging against the flesh. Now, many people don't want to hear that. They want to hear about a Christianity that says, when I become a Christian, all my problems are going to be solved, all the conflict is going to be gone, and I'm going to have nothing but peace and prosperity. And you know what? That's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches And that is not the realistic expectation for us to have. Do you want to know what the Bible says? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're called to fight the good fight of faith, putting on the whole armor of God, 
standing firm in the evil day and taking captive every thought, enduring hardship as a good soldier of Christ, not allowing sin to reign in our mortal body, and being filled with the Spirit so that we can no longer fall victim to the passions of the flesh. That's what Scripture says. We're in a war. We are in a battle. So don't be discouraged if that siren call is there. That's okay. But that just means that we need to press even more deeply into the Holy Spirit and rely on His strength and power. Because the reality is that God could very easily have taken away that old nature at the moment we were saved. God can do anything He wants, but He didn't. He chose not to do so. Did you ever stop and think why He didn't take that sin nature away from us? Well, I believe He allowed that sinful siren call to remain because He wanted to keep us continually reminded of our own weaknesses and the importance of depending on Jesus Christ to get us through any and all circumstances, to keep us humble and keep us continually praising God for the freedom that we have through His Son and to give us an opportunity to choose to follow Him over and over again and not yield to our sin nature to strengthen our faith, and to live a life of true freedom. And that's the message that Paul closes out this passage with. He says that when we're controlled by the Spirit, we've conquered the flesh, and we're living in freedom. Paul writes in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law has no hold on you. You have been set free. That's what Paul is saying. Now, Paul has already used the command to walk by the Spirit, which dealt with relying on the Spirit's power. Now he changes up his words a little bit, and he says, if you're led by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit. So, that's different than walking by the Spirit. We see that we not only need to be empowered by the Spirit, but we need to allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit as well. The Greek for our led by means to be directed by something. To be directed by something. And it was used to refer to a shepherd, shepherding his flock, directing his flock. And it was also used to refer to the wind as it filled the sails of a ship and propelled it along its path. That's what it means to be directed by something. And and like the command to walk by the Spirit, this is written in a way that means that we need to be led over and over again. Remember Dory, right? We need to be led over and over again by the Spirit. But there there is an important difference between walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. While walking by the Spirit is something that we ourselves need to actively engage in and actively seek to have done to us, being led by the Spirit is not something that we can actively do on our own. We can't make the Spirit lead us. We are responsible to submit to the Spirit's leading, but it's the Spirit Himself who leads us. 
Let me try to explain it this way. If, if I take my kids to the store, let's say we go to the grocery store, and, and, I, and I just walk in front of them and try to guide them behind me, they're most likely not going to follow behind. They're going to be distracted or they're going to see something that tempts them and they're going to run off and go and do their thing. So I don't just do that. I, I grab them by the hand and I hold their hand or I put them in a cart or I put them in the stroller or whatever the case may be and I actively guide them through the store. Now, now they can go kicking and screaming, which has happened on occasion. Or they can submit to my leading and be guided. But if they kick and scream enough, after I discipline them and try to teach them that, hey, you need to lead here, if they keep doing that, I'm just going to leave them at home. Or have my wife go and chop. And so... That's the exact same situation with the Holy Spirit and us. He he wants to take us by the hand and direct us. He doesn't just walk ahead and expect us to follow because he knows the temptations that we're going to face. But we can't be the kicking and screaming child. We have to want to submit to the leading of the Spirit. Otherwise, we're just going to get left at home. John MacArthur put it this way, don't expect the Spirit to miraculously make you holy. Holiness is a joint effort. The Spirit leads, but you must follow. Scripture teaches that we are involved in the growth process. As you are led, remember to follow. Because The truth, the reality, is that this is a conditional statement. Look at it. It says, if you are led by the Spirit. Just because you're a believer, that doesn't mean that you're being led by the Spirit. It doesn't mean that you're submitting to His leading. Just because you're living by the power of the Spirit doesn't mean that you're listening to what He's telling you to do. And just because you're trying to listen to what He's telling you to do doesn't mean that you're submitting to his power to do it. I can, okay, I, I hear that one, Lord. I'll take care of this one now, right? It, it all You see how it all works together. It requires walking by the Spirit as we are led by the Spirit. When we allow ourselves to be led, that is when we live free. That is when the flesh no longer has its way with us. But if we're not submitting to the empowerment of the Spirit, then that means you're submitting to the flesh and falling victim to the siren's call. And you know, the Odyssey wasn't the only Greek epic that dealt with the sirens. In their search for the Golden Fleece, Jason and the Argonauts also encountered the sirens and the the beautiful singing and enticement. Now, unlike Odysseus's crew, the Argonauts didn't stuff their ears with beeswax. And they were lured in by the beautiful singing of the sirens. But there was one Argonaut who wasn't enticed. There was one who was able to withstand the singing because he knew a song that was far more beautiful 
than the singing of the sirens. And so what he did was he stood up and he started playing his instrument. And that song that he played was far more beautiful than the enticement of the sirens. And his crew heard that and they no longer paddled towards the rocks. They were able to correct their course and overcome the temptation. And that is exactly how we overcome the calling of the flesh. We listen to the far more beautiful song of the Holy Spirit. When we walk by His power and submit to His leading, we can ignore the siren's call of our flesh. We can avoid the rocks and we can live free. So let's, let's walk by the Spirit. Let's be led by the Spirit. Let's live free by the Spirit. Amen?